wouldn't be here if he didn't. And therefore, you might be wondering, well, what, that's a strange topic you know, you know, to teach on. Why does God do this? Of course he does. But uh, let me tell you why this is such an important question. If you turn on the news, you'll see that yeah, and if you're paying attention to what's going on in this country, you will know that Christianity has come, has come under increasing attack in this country. It is no longer, we can no longer really say that this is a Christian nation any longer. This is not the nation you know, you know, that, that, you know, that our founding fathers founded. Now, you know, you know, you know, Christianity is just not uh, accepted as norm. If you go to our universities, you'll see that you know, you know, Christianity is, is not welcome. Many university uh, fellowships have been forced to shut down. And the reason why they've been forced to shut down is because these fellowships have said, hey, we're, 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 we welcome anybody to come to our fellowship as long as they agree to the tenets that we, our fellowship is founded on. We are a Christian fellowship. Therefore, if you're going to attend our Christian fellowship, then we need you to agree to abide by those Christian tenets. And therefore, the universities have said, well, that's discrimination. And therefore, many of these fellowships have been forced to shut down. You also have, um, recently in the news, the, near, the, near the, the pizzeria that was shut down because they refused you know, you know, to cater to a gay marriage, uh, to a gay wedding. You also have you know, other businesses that have come under, under attack because they've refused to compromise on their Christian values. Uh, even Franklin Graham hasn't been exempt. Uh, remember the, all the attacks that we, that we heard of on you know, the IRS against, against the P, uh, Tea Party and all these other conservative groups? Well, Franklin Graham was also you know, attacked by the IRS and they audited his uh, Samaritan Purse organization purely because, and I believe, it's because he spoke out against a lot of the anti-Christian policies you know, you know, that he saw being enacted in this country. Another, thing, another reason why this question is important is because I'm sure many of you probably have encountered atheists either at work or in your, just in the course of business and have tried to share you know, with them. But how do you share Christ with somebody that doesn't even believe that God exists? How do you share Christ with somebody that doesn't even believe that Christ is a real historical figure? You know, so this is the reason why you know, this topic or this question is an important one. It's not an important one for us, but it's an important question that we need to answer and give an answer to when asked. Now, tonight, obviously, as I said that this is not a Bible study. And the reason why I say it's not a Bible study is I'm going to be talking to you tonight as if all of you were atheists. And the goal of, my, of this study is, is to convince each and every one of you sitting here that God is indeed real, that God does indeed exist. How am I going to do that? Well, tonight we're going to look at some, uh, some non-biblical arguments that I believe will show clearly that God has to exist. Not only that he does exist, that he has to exist. First argument that we'll look at is called the contingency argument. And the contingency argument says 
that anything that exists has to be able to explain its own existence. Meaning to say that the universe has to explain, and I'm giving the universe as an example because evolutionists will say that, you know, that there was a big bang and the universe disappeared. Do you understand? Or there are others that say that, well, the universe has always existed and that we should disaccept it on blind faith that the universe has always existed. Well, then you need to ask them this question. How did the universe exist? Why does it exist? How does the universe explain its reason for existence? Because if the universe cannot explain the reason why it exists and it can't explain, what, you know, it can't explain where it came from, then the atheist has to offer an explanation for that. And we would offer the explanation that since the universe cannot explain its existence, the only logical explanation for the existence of the universe is a creator that brought it into existence, and that person, we believe, is God. Now, some atheists will say that, you know, well, the universe does not need an, exp an explanation. It just is. But again, it, it, raises a, you know, it raises the question that if they're, ex if they're wanting us to believe that the universe has always existed, and, they, and they're asking us to accept that on blind faith, isn't it more reasonable for us to ask them to believe that an intelligent being is behind the creation of the universe? You see, I believe that our you know, explanation is far more plausible and logical and reasonable than theirs. It says it, it's just, it just popped out of nowhere. It just simply exists. Second argument is information theory. The universe is governed by natural laws. You have all these you know, laws that they you know, point to, laws of motion, law, laws of gravity. Well, we, we know that laws do not write themselves. If there are laws, then it's logical to conclude that there has to be a lawgiver. And if there's a lawgiver, then there has to be an intelligence behind that lawgiver. And, that, and therefore, we would, we would offer, or we would argue, rather, that that lawgiver is God. Secondly, in, along the lines of information theory, evolutionists will argue and say, and say that a single-cell organism was the first living thing that came out of the primordial soup. If you watched any of these you know, uh, you know, uh, National Geographic programs. And, I mean, I remember watching Carl Sagan as a child growing up in the, in, in the 80s and explaining how the universe came into being. The question is this. The first living organism was a one-cell one organism. How, where did the additional information come from for that organism to change into a multi-cell organism and then into a more complex organism until eventually you got to us, which is a three trillion cell organism. They have to be able to explain that because logic says that cannot happen. I mean, your car, a, a beetle is not, a, a, a Volkswagen beetle for, it, for instance, is not gonna turn into a Volvo. You understand? It's just not gonna happen unless additional material, additional information 
is put into that car to cause it to change into something completely different, something more complex. So that's another argument to say that where did all the additional information come from? That that single cell organism was able to suddenly say, hey, now I want to you know, change into something more complex. Atheists will argue, and as I said, and this, this is not a valid argument, and, and we will see that later. And when I say it's not a valid argument, it's not a valid argument based on science. It's not a valid, well, I'm not using the Bible to say, well, the Bible says this, because that's simply, obviously, not going to work. See, if you're going to argue with an atheist, you have to argue based on science. You have to argue based on logic. You have to argue based on reason those are the only things that they're going to accept. And therefore, using their own basis for denying God's existence, you have to be able to use those same parameters to argue for the existence of God. And, then, and therefore, for atheists will say, will, you know, will say, well, that just like the universe you know, leapt into existence, the laws also that govern the universe simultaneously leapt into existence. That there was this little tiny dot, and they say that the dot was like the size of an atom. And it this exploded, and over time it this expanded, 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 until eventually you have you had galaxies and stars, and then planets, and then planet Earth, you know, and then finally you had the primordial soup, and then you had the first living organism. And yet they will say that God is a fairy tale that the Bible is, 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 the creation story is a fairy tale. Well, if, tell, tell a five-year-old and say, in the beginning there was nothing. Then out of nothing, a little tiny dot appeared. And that, out of that tiny dot, it exploded. And it turned into this whole great universe that we see today. It took billions and billions of years, but it turned into... Then tell the five-year-old, well, that's one story. Then tell the five-year-old, in the beginning, God. And he created the heavens and the earth. And then go through the whole creation week. And then ask the five-year-old, which story do you believe? I'm gambling and I'm betting that the child will say, well, uh, it makes more sense that God did it. Then it just happened by chance. So if a five-year-old, using five-year-old logic and reason is going to say that the creation story makes far, far more sense, then how then does, can an atheist expect us that has far more sense than a five-year-old to believe you know, their version of how the universe and how the world came into existence? Newton's third law of motion states that for every action, there has to be an equal and opposite reaction. Therefore, the argument is, what action caused the Big Bang? If the, if, if the dot, you know, we first, we, 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 let's even say that the dot was there. What caused the dot to explode? What was the action that caused that reaction that led to the dot exploding, that, that led to everything else that followed afterwards? Because physics cannot explain the origin of life. They can only explain how everything that happened afterwards and say, well, this is how the universe, you know, developed. This is how things came into being. Science cannot explain how life itself started. 
And they always say that, well, this is our theory about how life started, but don't worry about that. We're, you know, just worry about everything else that happened afterwards. Well, sorry, I would like to know the beginning of the story in order for me to accept the rest of the story. You understand? But they always want you to say, oh, don't worry about how it started. That's not important. We don't, we're still theorizing about that. There's this theory, that theory, that theory, that theory, you know, but we, we don't have an actual theory that, that we can prove, so don't worry about it. Well, no. I'm not going to read the book from chapter 2 <laughs> and, and say, hey, I, you know, I know the story. I, uh, what happened at chapter 1? So, you know, for every action, there has to be an equal and opposite reaction. And that, is, uh, that leads to the next law, which is similar to that, and that is the law of first cause. And Thomas Aquinas, who was a Catholic uh, priest, as well as a well-respected theologian and th uh, philosopher, made the following argument you know, for the existence of God. And this argument is called the first cause argument, and it goes this way. It says, there is a first cause for everything. Nothing can be the first cause of itself. It is not possible you know, to regress to infinite you know, causes, which means that you can't, you can't say, well, this led to this, and this led to this, and this led to this, and this led to this. Eventually, you can't just keep going back in infinity. You have to have a starting point for, for the very first thing. I mean, how many people have seen, you know, and, and I've used the demonstration of, a do of the domino, you know, knocking over dominoes. Who's seen a video of that where they've got thousands and thousands of dominoes all lined up, and then they flip the domino, and then, and then it, it causes the cascade and all the other dominoes fall. Similar thing with the Big Bang. Somebody had to have flipped the first domino. Then the next domino hitting the domino can say, yes, I, was, I, I fell because this person pushed me over. But who pushed the first person over? Same thing with the, with the whole first cause. There has to be a first cause. You can't just keep going back and back and back forever. So that, and therefore he's saying... To take away the cause is to take away the effect, which means without an action, there, with, for every action has to be an equal and opposite reaction. But if you take away the, 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 you know, the cause, then there can, if you take away the action, there cannot be a reaction. It's basically, you know, uh, repeating Newton's law. Therefore, if there is no first cause, there will be no other causes. Because without the first cause, then there's nothing else, there's, there's, no, there's no cause for anything else to have occurred. Therefore, a first cause exists, and he, well, and he therefore says, God is that first cause. God is the uncaused cause that caused everything else that has been caused to be caused, is, would be to summarize that argument. Argument number five is the first law of thermodynamics. Now, it would be nice if I had some you know, some physics you know, students in the class, you know, because they'll be like, oh, yeah, 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 I know that law, says that energy cannot be created or destroyed. Therefore, the argument therefore becomes, where did the initial energy that created the Big Bang come from? Since energy cannot create itself, where did the, en where did the, where did the initial energy come from? Science has to, you know, if you're, if science would have to explain that for us to believe that the ba that, that the ba that there was a big bang, because according to them it was such a huge bang that it caught. That I mean, look at everything that came out of it. That means that there must have been a tremendous amount of energy, but where did it come from? 
second law of thermodynamics says, uh, states that, the nat uh, that nature is tending towards disorder, which means everything is decaying, which means anything left to itself without any outside, uh, outside interference will decay and fall apart. Therefore, at some point, uh, therefore, the, you know, therefore the, the, you know, the argument is, is that the universe could not, cannot be infinite. The universe cannot be infinite because it's getting worse and worse and worse. It's dying. And, and physicists have uh, theorized that the universe will eventually suffer what they call the heat death. How many people have heard that the sun, the sun itself is dying? Now, they say it's going to take billions and billions of years for it to burn out, but, it, but they say that it's not going to last forever. And the sun is just one of many stars. If the sun is burning out, that means all the other stars in the universe are burning out. And if they all burn out, what happens in the universe? It will you know, essentially freeze. Everything, all life in the universe will cease to exist. So therefore, that is proof that the universe is not eternal. And it also is proof that the universe had, a, had therefore proving that the universe had a beginning. So therefore, the argument that they might offer to say that the universe has always existed, that matter has always existed, that the laws of the universe have always existed, is false, is scientifically false. So again, without using scripture, without using the Bible, you know, we can prove that their argument you know, for an eternal universe is false. It is not scientific. Then you have the design argument, which simply states that there is evidence of design in the universe. And just like, uh, therefore, if there's design, it is logical to conclude that there has to have been a designer. And we, and we would say that that designer is God. Then you have the anthropic principle, and which is a, a, a variation of the design principle. And the anthropic principle basically says that the universe is so fine-tuned, it is so perfectly constructed and put together as to preserve, as to, as to make life on this planet possible. And that if anything, in anything on this planet was to change, all life on this planet would die. If this planet was just slightly closer to the sun than it is now, then the, the, the heat would essentially vaporize all the water on this planet and would turn this planet into, you know, into mercury. It would, just, it would you know, just be vapor. If this planet was just slightly further away from the sun than it is now, then all of this water would essentially turn to ice, like we have on Mars, where the only water that they've been able to find is, is, is essentially solid ice. So again, you know, God... We would say, therefore, that the fact that the universe is so fine-tuned, that that could not have happened by accident. That could not have happened simply by chance. It, it just screams for a designer. It just screams for, you know, for somebody that, you know, for an outside force that put this whole thing together to make life possible on this planet. Now, another, another way in which you can... You know, you know, put atheists on trial because they always say, well, the burden of proof is on us to prove that, you know, that God exists. Like, we're the ones making the outrageous claim. Well, the fact is, is if throughout history, going all the way back to the earliest civilizations, 
They believe that God exists. They believe that God existed. They believe that they were created. Atheism is, is, is relatively new compared to the belief that, 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 that God exists. Now, it may not be the Christian God that they believe in, but they believe that God exists, either God or gods or whatever. So the, the, the onus or the proof should be placed on them to say, since you're coming along over the last maybe 500 years, and I wouldn't even go as far as 500 years, but just give them 500 years, I would say to them that you're, you're the ones coming along to claim, you know, to make, making the claim that God doesn't exist. Therefore, you should be the ones you know, to, you know, to prove it. But, fair enough, if, we're going to, if you're going to claim that, uh, that God uh, you know, does not exist, prove it scientifically. And, I would, and, and, I, and if they're going to prove it scientifically, this is how they would have to do it. Firstly, in order to scientifically prove that God does not exist, they would have to have the capacity to search the entire universe in a snapshot, which means in a moment of time, they would have to be able to photograph the entire universe because what if God was hiding over there? What if God was hiding over here? So it's not like they can send up a ship and that, that would literally do a grid search of the universe. That, that wouldn't work. They would have to do a complete snapshot of the universe simultaneously to absolutely and be able to say of a certainty God is not there. In order to do that, they would have to be omniscient, which means that they would, ha uh, they, they, you know, they would have to have a complete and total you know, knowledge of the universe. Secondly, in order, in order, well, sorry, they'd have to be omnipresent, which means they'd have to be able to be everywhere all at once. Then they would have to be omniscient in the sense that they would have to be able to process all of that information instantaneously to take in all of that information, be able to process it, and be able to say, God is not there. I mean, that would take tremendous brain power to be able to do that which obviously is impossible. So they would have to be omniscient. And lastly, anybody that's able to do the first two would have to be omnipotent. Because it would take unlimited amounts of power, infinite power, to be able to do that, to take on such a challenge. And the only person that fits that description is God himself. So you literally have to be God to prove definitively that God does not exist. Yeah, wow. Because that's really what it would take, scientifically. If they wanted to do it scientifically, to say we're going to conduct a, 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 a complete search and we're going to prove once and for all that God doesn't exist. Another reason why, uh, another reason why people often say that they don't believe in God is, is and I've had, I've had uh, someone tell me this, is, is, well, if God was real, why do we have all this evil and suffering in the world? And because there's evil and suffering in the world, you know, I can't believe that a, a loving God would allow all of that to happen. Now, I, I've got to be careful to limit myself as on this topic because I could talk for quite a while in terms of refuting that argument. So, I, yeah, I, I, I could go off on this because I could, I, I could give a very long and detailed uh, uh, rebuttal to that argument. But let me summarize it you know, you know, this way. Firstly... God would have to exist in order for this argument to be proven true. 
So if you're going to prove that scientifically, you'd first have to say, okay, this is what the, universe, this is what the world looks like with no God, and it's bad, as you claim. Therefore, in order to prove that the world would be better with God, you'd have to have God present to say, okay, no God, world, world, world sucks, it's crap, it's really bad, evil, but here's God, we're going to put him in now to see if the conditions would change. And if the world got better, improved with God being in existence, then you've proved your thesis. But since you say God does not exist, there's no way for you to prove that God does not exist because there's no evil, because of the evil that's in the world. Say again, use logic and reason to show them that, that, you know, that, you know, that the arguments that they're making do, you know, do not hold up. Now, so next, well, I've, met, we've talked about, I've talked briefly about the Big Bang model. So let's look at the Big Bang uh, model and see if that, in, 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 if that itself is you know, scientific, if they can really make a scientific argument you know, based on the Big Bang model to say that your Big Bang explains the, you know, explains the universe. So let's, let's, let me read what, you know, let me summarize the Big Bang argument in, in this sentence. It says, which would say, in the beginning there was nothing. Then out of nothing came a tiny dot. Then this tiny dot exploded, and from this tiny dot, the universe, the earth, and life on earth sprang into, into being. That is, that is, that is, you know, that is the essentially, you know, the uh, you know the uh, atheist version, uh, you know, version of how how life began. As we can clearly see, the it, the Big Bang model provides more questions than answers. Because you, again, you have to ask where the, you know, how can nothing come out of nothing? How can something come out of nothing? That is a scientific fallacy. Nothing produces nothing. You cannot get nothing, something from nothing. Just like you can't get life from non-life. You know, God said in Genesis, it said everything produces after its kind. And that was a, the law that he, that he laid down. Everything has to produce after its kind. So following that principle, and we see that principle carried out because a cat will, all, you know, you have different species of, of cat, all kinds of varieties of cat, but they're still cats. Different varieties of dogs, but they're still dogs because a dog, will, a dog will always produce a dog. Likewise, therefore, nothing will always produce nothing. Zero plus zero is still zero. Zero plus zero cannot equal one. So this, using that logic is enough to, to, you know, to prove that not, you know, where did the dot come from? What caused the dot to explode? How did, how did all, every, how, where did all the information you know, come from? You know, you know, all the information. Do you, know, you know how much information is in, is in, is in a strand of DNA? 3.1 uh, billion bits of information in one DNA strand. 3.1 billion bits of information. Where did all that information come from? But theoretical physicist Stephen Hawking, he's the guy in the he's the guy in the wheelchair that can't talk, that speaks with a uh, with a keyboard. He says, because there is a law like gravity, the universe will create itself from nothing. 
exactly. You see, there are three big problems with this statement. The first thing is, gravity is not nothing. I mean, that's the first thing you have to, you have to say. Gravity is not nothing. Second thing is, is who wrote the law of gravity? Where there's a law, there has to be a lawgiver. Third, the universe, the, you know, it's, it's, he's also saying that the universe created, it, created itself. Well, that's like saying God created himself. If, if, if Franklin Graham said, hey, I'm going to prove that God exists. Well, what's your proof that God exists? Well, God created himself. Then after God created himself, then he created everything else. They'd laugh, they'd, they'd laugh him off the stage. And yet, Stephen Hawkins can say it, and he's celebrated as this great intellectual genius. Of course, the, the, now the, the biblical creation model was summarized in the opening statement of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. No questions. Where did the power come from that sustains the universe? God. How was it designed? God. He said it was, he created it. Where did the space come from? God created the heaven. Because where did the space come from for the dot to explode into? Another question that needs to be, that, you know, that's a, another valid question that needs to be answered. And how did life begin? Because God willed that life to begin. Because he is the source of life. Because he has always and eternally existed. Where did intelligence come from? Information. He's the source of all intelligence. There are no questions. That, that, you know, that, that all the questions have answers in this one sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Simple, but it answers every question that any reasonable-minded person would want to ask about where did we come from? How did this universe come into existence? So now let's look at the atheist worldview, which means how does the atheist view the world as opposed to how we as Christians view the world. And everybody has a worldview. And a worldview just means that how, you know, through what, you know, what, what, you know, what, how do you see the world? What ideas, what ideology, you know, do you, you know, do you have that, that frame your perspective, what their perspective and how you view the world? And there are four basic questions that most people will ask. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Or what is my purpose in life? How should I live my life? Or how can I determine right from wrong? Where will I go when I, where, when I die? Or is there an afterlife? These are all questions that at some point everybody has asked themselves. Atheists will say that we came from nothing and therefore we will return to nothing. In his book entitled The Grand Design, Steve Hawkins said, spontaneous creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing. Why the universe exists, why we exist, it is not necessary to invoke God to light the blue uh, touch paper and set the universe going. So now he's saying that the, the, you know, the, 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 the universe is spontaneously created everything. And yet he offers no explanation as to how that happened. So again, we're being asked to take a huge leap of faith and say, well, because he's this brilliant physicist, we're just to believe him. But he offers no evidence, no proof to back up 
you know, to, to back up the statement. Again, you know, this violates the first and second law of thermodynamics. One, what caused the, 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 you know, the, what caused the Big Bang to bang. And number two, the second law that says, where did all the information, uh, where did all the energy come from that, that created that Big Bang? And where did all the energy come from that is currently sustaining this universe? Where does that come from? What is this, what is the, where, where's, where's the energy source? And since we know it cannot be created, then where did it come from? Genesis 1.1 is the only logical and, science, and scientifically consistent answer to these questions. But if they ask, where did the energy come from? God. He is omnipotent. And therefore, he himself provided the energy that sustains the universe. He's, he, he provided, he wrote the laws that govern the universe. He designed, and he designed the universe. Simple, logical, and reasonable to believe. Atheists like Richard Dawkins believe that life is essentially meaningless, meaning there is no purpose in life. So, you know, so therefore, if you ask an atheist, why am I here? They'll, they'll probably say, hey, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, because essentially that's what they believe, that they're to make the most of the life that they have here, that it's up to them to, make, to find meaning in life. It's up to them to find fulfillment. But then they're to do everything they can to get the most out of this life because they have no idea when this meaningless universe is, is going to collapse on itself and that their life can be, you know, can be, you know, can be extinguished. So... In an atheist worldview, there's no, there's no such thing as hope. There's no such thing as, as compassion, because how can you have compassion on somebody, on, 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 on someone, if you believe that, they, that, they, that their life is meaningless and has no value? How can you truly have compassion on somebody? Richard Dawkins says, if the universe were just electrons and selfish genes, meaningless tragedies are exactly what we should expect, along with equally meaningless good fortune. Such a universe would never be evil nor good in intention. If the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect, if there is a bottom, oh, sorry, if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Now, if, you, if that's what they believe that the, the universe is, what kind of life, how, how, you know, now you can understand the hatred that comes out of atheists when you try to sh you know, share the gospel with them. Because they, they've bought into the lie that, that, this, that this life is, is meaningless, that your life is meaningless, everything is meaningless. Atheists believe that there is no moral absolutes because how can, there be any, how, can, how can there be any right and wrong? How can they say, well, this is, this is, these, these are the ideals, of, or the ideals upon which I, I live my life? If the universe is meaningless, if there is no good, if there is no evil, if the, you know, how then can they really say, oh, well, these are my, 
this, these are my life principles. This is how I live my life. But at the same time, atheists will spend billions of dollars trying to preserve their lives and trying to protect their lives, which is, again, contradictory. If life is meaningless, why spend so much money trying to protect it and preserve it? Therefore, if they do believe in moral laws and say, yeah, well, we need moral laws, we have to, you know, to say you know, murder is wrong, rape is wrong, theft is wrong, this is wrong, upon what basis are they making that argument? Because if, the univ if there is no good and there's no evil, as Richard Dawkins ha has said, then how then can they justify you know, you know, saying that this, is, that, you know, that this is wrong? If I was to walk up to an atheist and, 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 and slap him in the face, why would he say that I did anything wrong? If I was to, walk, if I was to, if I was to enter an atheist's home and, and, and steal something, I'll say, hey, you said there's no evil. So what I'm doing is, you know, how then can you say that what I did was wrong? Why are you calling the police? So this is what, you know, what, you know, where you need to use logic to show them the, the, the fault in, in, in their logic. Atheists like Richard Dawkins say that life is meaningless because it is, you know, again, because it's a product of a meaningless universe. And therefore, they, they, want, they, they want us to accept the fact that life has no, that life has no meaning, that there's no hope. And I, yeah, I'm sorry, you have to tell them, well, we choose not to, you know, we choose not to live that way. Because they say that, oh, we, we only invented God to, you know, because, you know, because we're depressed. Because we're depressed at the reality. So because we're depressed at the reality that we're living in a meaningless universe, we invented God to, to, get, to make us happy. So we can believe in a fairy tale so, so that we don't have to face the reality that the universe is meaningless. That is why, that is why we invented God. Well, here's, here's, here's somebody, an, an atheist, that may have said something that a, a lot of atheists would have wished that he had not said. And this is Professor Richard Lewontin who's a, genet a geneticist and one of the world's leading evolutionary biologists. And he, he, he made a very candid uh, you know, admission. And I'll read his statement, and which I believe speaks clearly for itself. He says, Our willingness to accept scientific claims that are against common sense is the key to an understanding of the real struggle between science and the supernatural. We take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories, because we have a prior commitment a commitment to materialism. It is not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the, of the phenomenal world, but on the contrary, that we are forced by our priori adherence to material causes to create an apparatus of 
investigation and a set of concepts that produce material explanations, no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. Moreover, that materialism is absolute, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. How many people got that? What he's essentially saying is, is they have a vested interest in making sure that the world does not believe that God exists. And they said no matter how absurd their arguments are, no matter how ridiculous the arguments that they make, they will make them because they do not want to accept the possibility that God exists, that there is a supernatural. Again, Genesis 1.1 says that God created the heavens and the earth. And then the rest of Genesis 1 goes on to, set, to show us how he did it. But importantly, Genesis 1.26-27 says that then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is where we get our value from. This is why we are valuable. This is why human life matters. And again, for an atheist to say, well, they can have moral values without a belief in God. Again, you can't have moral laws, you can't have moral values without moral laws. And you can't have moral laws without a moral law giver. You can't determine right and wrong unless there's a standard, an absolute standard, by which you can measure right and wrong. Again, logic tells, you know, logic dictates that, you know, you know, that God has to exist. He has to, not that he does, he has to exist. If not, this, our current world cannot make sense and will not make sense. He says, as believers, we know we have value because God created us in his image and likeness. And Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. God is the one that gives us our purpose. God is the one that gives us our value. As believers, we know that our purpose in life is to honor God with our lives. Romans 8, 20, uh, 29 and 30 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, Moreover, whom he did for, uh, predestine, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. This answers the question, where do we go when we die? As Christians, we know where we're going when we die. We're not, we're not retur we, we didn't come from nothing, we came from God. And we were not returning to nothing, we're returning to God. Yes, you know, God said to Adam, you know, you know, from dust I took you and dust you shall return. But that was speaking of his physical body. He was not speaking of Adam's spirit. 
our spirits will return to the God that created them. So, let me just say this in closing, and, and that is I'm going to uh, make an appeal to my apologetics class that I do on Sunday nights. This is the reason why I do, I, I asked Pastor Mike if I could teach teen apologetics. It's to prepare them for these kind of questions and attacks that they're going to get once they get to college. See, right now they're in the safe zone. They're at home or they, they go to a Christian college or they come to church. What happens when they leave home and they go to a university and they're looking for a Christian fellowship somewhere where they can meet people of their own, you know, like themselves. And they can't find it because they've all, a lot of these colleges are, have driven Christian fellowships off their, camp, off their campus. Many of you may, may be aware of a California law, and if it passes, that will put an end to every Christian in, institution in the state, which says that every Christian institution, under the, under, and they call it a, a, a tolerance law, to say that we have to tolerate everybody which means that Christians like CBU would no longer be, re able, no longer be required to t have their students read the Bible. They wouldn't be able to require it any longer. It would, be, it would have to be optional because a gay person or an atheist may decide that he wants to go to CBU. An atheist or a gay person may say, I want a lecture at CBU. And this is where the real problem lies. Then what happens when there are no Christian institutions, no Christian institutions at universities for our children to go to, to to gain some kind of support, and then they're going into classrooms with atheistic professors who are determined, determined to destroy the faith of anybody that dares to say that he or she is a Christian. What are, we, you know, what, what are you as a parent going to do? This is the reason why I'm doing my apologetics class on Sunday nights. And if you have children, bring them out on Sunday night. Bring them out on Sunday night. It upsets me greatly that many of these children, I just keep thinking to myself, they're going to leave here three years, four years, five years, however many years from now, and then we're going to hear stories that, you know, that they've walked away from, from their faith. They no longer go to church. Why? Because the, the very first challenge to their faith, they couldn't defend it. And therefore, they now started to question and doubt whether or not that the faith was even real to begin with. Thank you. Let's pray. If I log mighty again, just thank you so much, so much, so much for allowing me to uh, present uh, this, uh, this uh, message. And I just, I just pray, Lord God Almighty, do something with it. Don't let it just be something that has been presented and then it falls to the ground and, and, and it bears no fruit. I ask you, please, as I've sown this seed this evening, I pray that you will cause it to bear fruit and fruit that shall remain until the return of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.